Welcome back. We are glad you have chosen to join us for part two of Pastor Tim's message, Men of Power are Men of Prayer, from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, they may have had in mind that he would give them a script to follow. But what he gave them was a model. Sometimes we call this the Lord's Prayer, but maybe it's more appropriate to call it the model prayer. He gave them elements that would grow their prayer life, that they might be mighty men of prayer. Here's Pastor Tim. Number two. I think not only did they want intimacy with God, I think they wanted identification with Jesus. I mentioned it a moment ago. They said, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. You know, they, they want to be identified with Jesus. They don't want somebody to say, hey, you guys, man, y'all must be with John the Baptist because that's who you sound like. Are you? <laughs> be terrible if they said, boy, y'all must be with Baal. That's who you sound like. You know? They want to be able to say, man, you sound like Jesus when you pray. You sound like Jesus when you talk. Every time you open your mouth, I hear Jesus coming out. Man, wouldn't you want somebody to say that about you? It's about identifying yourself with Him. Why do we wear Braves caps? Or the smarter people in the room who wear Reds caps. You know, just saying. Or, you know, why do we wear Georgia sweatshirts? Or Auburn sweatshirts? Or Georgia Tech sweatshirts? Or Alabama sweatshirts? Or whatever. Why do, why do we put that Brit David logo on the backs of our windshields? We want to be identified. We want people to see and know at just a glance where my loyalty is. You know, where my loyalty is. When, uh, when our kids were little and we would drive through Auburn, some of you are really going to appreciate this. When we'd drive through Auburn, I would tell our kids to pick their feet up like off the floorboard. Pick your feet up because you don't want to get any of that stuff on you, you know. <laughs> Right? So, anyway, we're driving through Auburn. Juliana's small at this point. Nice to embarrass her. Um, you know, we're driving through on a church trip now. And so she announces to the whole church group, probably going on a mission trip, everybody pick your feet up and feet up. <laughs> we don't want to get any of this on us. You know, you want to be identified with, with who you have given yourself to. Right? Listen. The Reds stink, all right? Just be honest. They stink, but I'm still going to wear their stuff. Georgia, finally. <laughs> finally, so now this is let down year. You know, I'm still going to wear my stuff, no matter what. It doesn't matter whether they, whether they win or whether they lose. I want to be as good of a fan as Albert Danielson was. You know, win or lose, it didn't matter. He was going to wear his stuff every Sunday, right? Prayer shows you where your real loyalty lies. It'll show you what really is the priority of your life and of your heart. I don't spend time with God, but yet I say that He's number one in my life. Something's not right there, is it? I can't wear the memorabilia and say simply that I identify myself with Jesus. And not spend enough time so that I look like him, talk like him, act like him. That's when I begin to identify with him. 
Third, I think at least three reasons why they wanted a prayer life like Jesus' prayer life. They wanted influence with men. They wanted influence over others. Back to this idea of the relationship between prayer and power. The disciples wanted the kind of power and influence that Jesus had as He began to speak to people and deal with them. There are too many people who pretend to be one thing in public and are something else or someone else completely different in private. Those people aren't to be my excuses. Do you know Robert Murray McShane? A great missionary. Great missionary who even when the doctor said, you're too sick, you can't go. He went to the Indians, the Native Americans that were in Northeast America. Died kneeling in the snow at 29 years old. He might not have understood what was going on with his health, but he sure understood God. And he spent time with him like nobody else. This is what Robert Murray McShane said. He said, what a man is on his knees before God, that's what he is and nothing more. You can put up all the facades that you want to. You can, you can trick whoever it is that's gullible enough to believe it. That you are somehow more spiritual than you really are. But God knows, doesn't He? He knows who we are. He knows what our priorities are. He knows everything about us. Anything else is just for show. If you want intimacy with God, if you want to identify yourself with Jesus, if you want influence among other people, and those other people may be some of the most important people that you want to influence, your children, your grandchildren, your co-workers, your boss, then you better become a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, a child of prayer, someone who spends time with the Lord. So the disciples, after watching Jesus, have determined in their own heart they want what Jesus has got. And so they ask Him, Lord, teach us how to pray. It's interesting, when we get down to verse number 2, and that prayer, that model prayer is given, that Jesus doesn't do, I don't think Jesus answered their requests exactly the way they, that they wanted to. I think they wanted a script. And Jesus gave them a model. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives them this Lord's Prayer, this model prayer, and then He goes right into saying, now listen, when you pray, don't pray repetitious lines and you really don't mean it. You just pray in just because that's the way you've been taught to pray. And what do we do? We just, we just mumble back the Lord's Prayer as if that's something. He's not giving you a script. He's giving you a model. And so what He does with His disciples is to walk them through the prayer. That's number three. The disciples walked through Jesus' kind of prayer life. He's showing them. These are the elements that are important. Listen, when I, when I first became a Christian, 
I really thought that I had to pray the way, I mean, the first thing that came to my mind were the deacons at our church. I wanted to pray like they prayed, you know? They would come down, they'd get those offering plates, and then somebody would pray. And generally, somewhere in the midst of their prayer, they would pray for the sick and the afflicted. I didn't know who the sick and the afflicted were, but I prayed for them, you know? I didn't even know what it meant to be afflicted. In school, it meant something totally different, what those deacons meant, you know? I prayed for them anyway, you know? You know what I discovered? Jesus isn't concerned about me sounding like a deacon or a preacher or an evangelist or anybody else. He loves me. He doesn't want you to sound like me. He wants you to sound like you. You pray. It's your relationship with Jesus. It's your relationship that He, it's your fellowship that He desires so much. You spend time praying. But here are some essential elements in prayer. Let me give them to you. Number one. First of all, they recognize God's person. When they prayed like Jesus prayed, they recognized God's person. They said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I think that's a great starting point. But it doesn't have to just come at the beginning, does it? In my prayer life, though, I need to recognize that I'm not talking to the man upstairs. I'm talking to my Savior. I'm talking to the Creator. I'm talking to the one true living God. I can't help but hallow His name. I can't help but give Him glory and honor and praise and worship. Because He deserves that. That's what it means to hallow Him. That His name be holy. You can't treat Him like little Jesus claws. You can't treat Him like your little buddy down the street. He is the living God. And deserves to be honored that way. This prayer recognizes God's person. Number two. This prayer recognizes God's purposes. It recognizes God's purposes. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our world's a mess, isn't it? Ever since Adam willfully, <laughs> carelessly, just gave away the authority that God had given to him. Our world's been upside down ever since. We're continuing to pray that God's will would be done here. That God's kingdom would be done here. That, that what is reality already there becomes reality here. We want His rule. We want His will. Again, you're reading through Psalms. Did you get to Psalm number 2? It asks the question, why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot a vain thing? You know what the vain thing is? You read on down, it says this, they wanted to do life without God. We don't want your restraints, we don't want you, but we want your blessing. You can't treat prayer that way. Prayer is to be tied directly to God's purposes. Not fulfilling my own agenda. Number three. 
they recognize, or this prayer in it, they recognize God's provision. His provision. They say, give us day by day our daily bread. Saying, God, I'm dependent upon you. But take it a step further. God, I'm dependent upon you every day. Every day I need you. Every day I need you to work. Every day I need you to lead. Every day I need you to make the crooked path straight. Every day I need to spend time with you. Begin to recognize His provision for you in so many ways. Every single day. Number four. They recognize God's pardon. His pardon. How sweet is this? And forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. In that line alone should help you to understand forgiveness on a better and greater level. What is forgiveness? Does, does, does forgiveness mean somebody comes to you and they apologize and maybe, they, maybe they're so bold as they even say, will you forgive me? And typically we say, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. It's, it's okay. That's just, that's just water under the bridge. No. To have something to forgive means that somebody is indebted to you. That person who said something, whether they meant it or they were thinking about it, it was intentional or not, they said something that, that hurt you. What do they owe you? Well, they owe me an apology. Right? Or the person who steals from you, I don't know, say steals your trailer hitch right off your truck in the middle of the church parking lot. <laughs> Just thinking, you know, so somebody steals something from you. What do you owe me? You owe me that back in return. You, you have to replace that. We live in such a way as if we think that people owe us all the time. You owe me an apology. You owe me restitution. You owe me. Forgiveness simply says, you don't owe me anymore. I mean... Sticks and stones hurt, and words do too, right? And the hurt and the pain that's there, it's not going to go away. But you know what does go away? Resentment and bitterness and really the hurt itself. To say, you know what? My relationship with you is not going to change one bit. You don't owe me anything. I forgive you. You don't have to tell them that. You just have to do it. You stole from me. You don't, you don't owe me that anymore. My relationship to you does not change. My fellowship with you does not change. Because you are forgiven. Forgive us our sins. Just like we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. What a powerful, powerful issue is God's pardon. And then number five, I think, five or six, 
they recognize God's protection. His protection. They say, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. My security, my protection, my needs, those things are met by Jesus. Not by the world. Not by anybody else. I long to have Him work in my life. And so Jesus simply takes His disciples and walks them through step by step. This is what you should include in your prayer time. Let me, let me take a commercial break with you for a minute. Sunday nights we've been studying 2 Timothy. Did I just say 2 Sunday night? Whatever. Sunday nights we have been studying 2 Timothy. I don't know what I said, but let that replace it. All right? So we're about, we're about two weeks, maybe three weeks from finishing our study in 2 Timothy. When we get through with that, we're coming right back here. And we're going to take five or six weeks and just talk about prayer. Talk about every one of these elements and really begin to dig in. How does prayer change the life of an individual? How does prayer change... The life of a church. There's power. There is a direct line between your prayer and His power. If my prayer life is weak and meager, power is going to be that way too. But I think I know one of the reasons... One of the reasons is, is because we see prayer as supplemental and not fundamental. It's just an add-on, you know? I mean, I'm, going to, I'm just going to, do, I'm going to do the best I can. And then we say, and, and just to cover all my bases, I'm going to pray. Right? You ever heard anybody say that? Or have somebody say, you, you tell them, hey, I'm praying for you. Well, that can't hurt. More, the more, more people praying, the better. They treat it as if it's something that's added on. They come to the close of the prayer and they say, in Jesus' name, amen. Because that's how we've been taught to close out a prayer. Not because they have an understanding that to say, in Jesus' name, means that I am calling on the authority of Jesus for what I've just asked for. What I'm saying in my prayer is, God, here is my request. But it is in keeping with your will, and I'm sure of it. You have burdened my heart over it. I know this is what you want me to pray about. And so in the authority of Jesus, I ask you to fill it. And I expect it. Not an addendum. Not so that people can get ready for their prayer. Or people can gather up their pocketbooks and their Bibles because they know now it's about to be over. To close it out with amen means, let it be, Lord. This was your will. Let it be. And let me watch. Prayer's the most fundamental the most foundational thing that you will do every single day. And if you say that you're too busy, then you're just too busy.
make time for prayer. In fact, that's, that's really the invitation, isn't it? Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe your prayer today is the same as this disciple that came to meet with Jesus. And you just say, Lord, teach me to pray. It's not going to happen with a sermon or a lesson. It's not going to be because of some book that you got at the bookstore. He's going to teach you to pray by praying. So just make a commitment to do it every single day. Maybe you come to the altar. Maybe I can help you with that. Maybe you need to give your heart to Jesus. Maybe you need to plant your life in our church. Maybe there's something specific and you say, you know what, this is something I've been praying about. I want you to join me. I want you to pray with me too. We'll do it. Father, all over this room, I bet you there are people who are saying right now, they're saying to you, Lord, teach me how to pray. I want to pray. Teach them. Burden them. Answer them. That they not be discouraged and that they know where the glory goes. Right back to you. Bless us as a church as we pray together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at britdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.